What's what's clearly happening is ITV is on a bit of a mission now to introduce innovation into the way they go to market from an advertising perspective. And they can do that now because of ITVX. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar and today I'm joined by editor Omar Oaks and columnist Nick Manning to get our teeth into some of the biggest stories in the world of media. Today we will be talking about ITV's annual Upfronts event, Nick, your recent column on impact and effectiveness, and we'll finish off with a round of quick hits uh, covering OpenAI, The Telegraph, Meta, X. There's no shortage of news out there this week. First up, ITV Palooza. You were both there last night. Uh, Not too worse for wear this morning, I hope. I didn't stay for the after party. (laughs) Omar? (laughs) Uh, No, um, it's like a wedding where you just get handed drinks and you can get way too drunk way too quickly but um no what what sobers you up is just the amount of talent that they wheel out um so i was standing somewhere for about a minute before i realized that lenny henry was looming over me um they they really do wheel out the talent Mm. they bring it so i spotted lenny henry too chatting to ed balls um but perhaps even more excitingly i was two rows back from lorraine kelly Ooh. Ooh, yeah. There were quite a lot of other celebrities there, but I didn't recognise all of them. Yeah, so kind of paint a picture. Where was it? What were the big announcements? We've already mentioned a few names, but what was the kind of atmosphere, Omar? Yeah, so they did it. Um, they, they had it the past um, two years at Royal Festival Hall, but it's moved to the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane. Um, so unfortunately, anyone who wanted to watch Frozen, the musical, couldn't do so on Tuesday evening. Um, but yeah, it was as you'd expect. They changed the order, interestingly, um, where usually um, Kevin Ligo, who's the director of television, the content, Big Cheese, um, he will speak first and we'll get into what he specifically talked about this time because it's always worth listening to. Um, and then they do the Kelly and Dag show, the commercial bits, but they actually swapped it. So Kelly and Simon Daglish were first. And Kevin Ligo was towards the end, um, which I think was a bit of a subtle statement of intent that mm. actually, yes, we're ITV. Yes, we're showing off lots of talent. Yes, we're fun. We're TV. But also we're serious. And there were a lot of announcements and not just a lot of announcements on the commercial side, but a lot of detail a lot of slides. And remember, this is an audience where you've got a load of celebrities, a load of clients, not just, you know, smelly press people like me and luminaries like Nick. Um, but, you know, a lot of people who this would have gone way over their head yeah. in terms of audience measurement solutions. And we can get into the detail. Um, but, yeah, really interesting. More business-like, I would say. Oh, that's that's quite interesting. Nick, would you recognise that as well? Absolutely. Uh, well, I think the, the change of venue was interesting because the Royal Festival is a pretty antiseptic kind of place. Uh, more more fit for orchestras <laughs> than the entertainment we had last night. The Theatre Royal Drury Lane is a magnificent venue for this. And it, in a way, ITV is all about entertainment. It's about engagement, entertainment, and all those core values. Uh, and it was great. I mean, there was a lot of really good entertainment uh, on show. They had, you know, they did have a lot of very good performances by different uh, uh, artists. But actually, Omar's right. There was uh, a much harder business edge to it. Um, and Kelly and Dags did a fantastic job of, well, basically apologising because sort of saying, sorry, guys, we're now going to get into all this sort of stuff. Uh, teed up very well by Tom Allen, actually, who took the piss royally, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, but it was it was great. And they, they, they talked a lot about the sort of measurement innovation tools that they're bringing in. They made a number of new announcements, like the branded entertainment studio and mm. various other things. And 
what's what's clearly happening is ITV is on a bit of a mission now uh, to introduce innovation into the way they go to market from an advertising perspective. And they can do that now because of ITVX. Uh, before, it was much harder to do. So a lot of what they're talking about is to do with addressability and interactivity, uh, which is obviously hard to do in linear. Mm. Uh, but they've now got the complementary channel ITVX running alongside that. Um, so things like automated contextual targeting that they're doing now, the sort of data matching, first-party data, the things they, they talked about that announced addressable lift, TV auction boosting and things like that, all of which is absolutely where big TV meets the, the internet uh, and digital channels generally. So that was really interesting for us. <laughs> maybe some of the celebs didn't it find it quite kind of so Maybe engaging. went over some heads. Yeah, but-, but you know what? They make their money. They get paid by all of this so mm. uh, they just have to sit there and suck it up I <laughs> <laughs> and i was i was gonna say so it was sound like it was a very nitty-gritty the nuts and bolts of it not just the kind of there's this shiny new tool and if you want more information you can ask us about it later is that fair to say yeah i think so um so what did they announce they announced these two measurement product updates i suppose you could say one's called addressable lift and the other tv auction boost um, and what, you know, what's the point of these? They're meant to give advertisers the ability to measure the business outcomes. Outcomes was a key pillar of what they talked about, the outcomes that TV advertising creates. Um, those could be web traffic, could be sales and profits. Um, so Addressable Lift um, is this pilot program they're launching, which is supposed to be full funnel measurement across brand lift, site lift, and sales lift for campaigns at a household level. Um, they also announced TV Auction Boost, which is going to be an experimental phase. Uh, Nick, your old friends, Omnicom Media Group are involved yep. in that. Um, and it's it's really, as Nick says, it's about proving ITV's effectiveness. And I think I think the context actually for the clients in the audience would have been, you know, Carol, Carolyn McCall said in an earnings update over the summer that this was, you know, TV faced its toughest ad recession in 15 years. Um, so I think ITV, they need to show that they're taking it seriously. Regular media leader, readers will know, um, we did a piece last week on ITVX one year on 10 key takeaways from a presentation that they did. Um, so a lot of the detail was teased at ITV Palooza that actually came out last week. Mm. Well, I, th- I think the issue is that uh, it's, it's all about the transition from being a linear only to a linear plus digital Mm-hmm. Uh, combination and it's uh, and what they are doing uh, and they're not alone in this of course is to develop the digital side of the business uh, as much as they possibly can to make sure that they retain both the viewers uh, and the advertising revenues and I think uh, in some ways what recessions do is it actually accelerates the process a lot of what they talked about was essentially how they're going to be able to uh, use ITVX to do a lot more uh, in things like the automated contextual targeting side of it, uh, talking about moments where in certain programs they might be talking about cooking mm. or even joy. There's a you know you, you can you can tap into different emotions as well as certain actions, and all of that's very clever and and it's good. Um, and it could be argued that um, uh, you know you just ha- you have to work a lot harder these days to earn your money mm-hmm. than it used to be in the in the past. So it's about business development, opening up new avenues for revenue but also if if we're being honest also the the way that television is traded and this is not the first time i've said this but i'll say it again the way that television is traded is still stuck in the kind of in the past so uh, to a certain extent some of this 
is about uh, developing new lines of business uh, which fall outside of the traditional TV trading business. And it's also bringing in revenues uh, that are outside that from uh, established advertisers, but also bringing in lots of new brands as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's what they need to do. It's what they are doing. And in many ways, ITVX allows them to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do know that Kevin Ligo would obviously be giving a presentation and a speech and he normally has quite a lot to say. There's normally some kind of controversial statements. Anything that you can reveal? Any particular highlights from that? Oh, it was interesting, and it was also um, it drew attention to the fact that it was the first time I think at one of these upfront events that we had um, a sign language um, person on stage, which was good. So they had two of these people tag teaming the whole night doing sign language, which was great. Um, Kevin Ligo made reference to this and said that he knew how to sign Nigel Farage. And then he made the uh, the, uh, the the wanker sign. There's no other way to say it. It's the wanker sign. Is it the, <laughs> the wanker universally sign? universally acknowledged sign. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> um, and it, it's, a, it's a good, uh, again, for regular media leader readers, and um, we'll know that um, I did a write-up of um, this event two years ago where he did a very similar thing for Piers Morgan. Um, you might remember 2021, Piers Morgan had just stormed off the set mm of Good Morning Britain and um, LIGO gave him a very similar wave send off um, and interestingly I so I wrote about this and, I, and I'm pretty sure I was the only one that um, did, bothered to write this thing up which I thought was very um, interesting obviously um, and then Piers Morgan got very upset and um, whined about it in a, a subsequent Mail on Sunday column um, Piers so, Morgan is one of our readers. Well, of course, of course, he is. Um, but you know, this is what Kevin Ligo does. He's an attention seeker. I mean, let's be honest. Getting Nigel Farage to do "I'm a Celebrity" in the first place for reported 1.5 million pounds. We don't know. Haven't confirmed it. Um, you know, this is all about seeking attention. So who's to say that Kevin Ligo isn't doing a very good job indeed? Mm. It has to be said that uh, he's a shrinking violet in terms of seeking attention compared to Piers Morgan and Nigel Farage. <laughs> yeah. uh, and in some ways, I, I think the fact that they attract that kind of attention doesn't bother them that much because it's all grist to the mill to them. So, uh, mm. Mm. any any other final kind of takeaways or like uh, sort of thoughts from the event before oh I wasn't done with Ligo no. I wasn't done he was just getting started so he talked so obviously Nigel Farage uh, on I'm a Celebrity he talked about Matt Hancock being on the show last year you could forget mm-hmm. apparently it was Ofcom's second most complained about TV event of the year Ligo said, surely we can do better than that, uh, referring to Nigel Farage. Um, Ligo said... Oh, so that's the KPI then. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure his tongue was only slightly in his cheek when he said that. Um, interestingly, when I was hearing it back, um, I don't know if you picked up on this, Nick, because um, you're, you're, you're more favoured than I am. I was I was in the back with the smelly press people. Um, but I actually, when I was playing this back, I heard some boos when, he started, when yeah. Ligo was talking about Farage, yeah. um, which, I, which I didn't pick up on at the time. Uh, I think the audience, well, it definitely did not react that favourably to some of the things that he was saying. I, th- I think they f- thought it was uh, in bad taste, um, especially the reference to the dinghies. Yeah, so yeah, um, so, so he said um, the only problem with letting Farage out of the jungle is it means he comes home. Um, but it's okay, it's okay, because it's part of his contract that he's going to come back in a dinghy, which um, is, a, is a good line. Yeah, I, I, but, spoke to, I spoke to somebody afterwards who sort of said that uh, they, they thought it was a bit off-colour because Kevin would have been involved in putting Nigel in the jungle in the first place. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, well, that's I, that's what I thought about mm. um, when he when he did a similar routine for Piers Morgan a couple of years ago. I mm. mean, how how different would it be to me being on this podcast with mm. you, Ella, right now and slagging off columnist Nick Manning? Mm. <laughs> how is it different? Mm. So yeah. yeah, the the and the kind of the it's like pushing that that line with that dinghy joke. I don't really know if that so it did get booed. Uh it fell flat. Yeah. Uh there was a there was a bit of reaction uh, well, yeah. negative reaction. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think that should in its in of itself detract too much from, from the overall tenor of the evening, which was, you know, it was about entertainment, uh, on the one hand, and there was they had some very good entertainment on the stage. Uh, Kelly and Daggs did a really good job of uh, entertaining us, those of us who mm. come from it from the trade angle, if you like, mm-hmm. um, in terms of what they were talking about. I found it really interesting. Uh, it was great to see them doing the things that they're doing uh, in terms of the litany of new initiatives, which are coming through now from Ad Labs and other things that they're doing. So uh, I think we can kind of leave the Kevin Ligo thing as being part of the entertainment almost. Oh, okay. Um, uh, from my point of view, I was more interested in the in the harder edge business stuff. Um, and I, but I really enjoyed the fact that this was television writ large. It was big screen TV. It was lots of entertainment, lots of great drama. Uh, it was you know it was a good showcase for what ITV does and does best. Speaking of hard-edged business stuff, maybe now's a good time to switch to talking about your uh, your column yeah. um, and that it kind of impact and effectiveness and the Be More Ben Stokes. Um, can you talk a bit more about uh, what you mean by, you say brands always grow stronger and quicker scoring in sixes and fours. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you watched the World Cup, the Cricket World Cup over the weekend. But <laughs> Travis Travis Head from the from Australia was scoring lots of sixes and fours. Yeah. Um, but maybe can you explain for those that are not the savviest with cricket, what do you mean when a brand, how does a brand score? Okay, sixes well, and fours? Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't follow cricket, it's a bit of a, a, an obscure reference, uh, although I've had a couple of... <laughs> Quite funny comments uh, back afterwards. If you're a if you're a batter uh, in cricket and the ball's coming at you, uh, you can block it and score no runs. You can score a single. Uh, you can leave it, uh, or you can hit it for a four or a six. And if you hit a lot of sixes and fours, you rack up your the innings grows much quicker and better. Mm-hmm. And you're more likely to win. And that's what somebody like Ben Stokes can do. So Ben Stokes can come on as a batter. Uh, and, and, you know, if England have been struggling, he can come on and he just flings the bat at it. And mm. before you know it, uh, England are winning again. So so in some ways, without wanting to sound like Victor Meldrew again, uh, which I do get accused of occasionally, <laughs> is, you know, it, it, it is a bit back to the future in as much as that is the way that brands have always been built through mass media. Now, you know, we all know that mass media has changed because it's not as mass anymore. Mm. Um, so you can't apply exactly the same techniques. But there, uh, it is still important to reach people en masse. And ITV made the point last night, correctly, that they have a much higher share of programmes that score over 5 million viewers um, than, than other channels do. Um, and, you know, we all know from history that brands get built by mass media. Shared viewing is important. Peak time is important. They talked about that last night as well, because it has a power that other things don't have. Um, and, you know, if you look at Gogglebox, for example, what that program is only about people watching television together and talking to each other about television. 
Um, and what do you talk about at the proverbial water cooler in the office on the following day? What you both, you know, what you watched on television. So I contrast that deliberately versus the orthodoxy of the last fifteen years or so, which is all about building it person by person, mass personalization, one-on-one targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a role for that, but it takes an awful long time to do it, and you've got to get it right. And the trouble with a lot of it is it doesn't it it doesn't get done right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was the analogy, if you like. Um, so I'm not saying there isn't a role for more direct media targeting mm-hmm. people in smaller groups or even individually. But if you want to really build a brand, um, then uh, big mass media is still the fastest and best way to do it. And I'll just I'll finish because I've been going on too long <laughs> as usual. Um, just this morning, I was reading there's an article in Marketing Week from uh, Tony Chocoloni, the chocolate brand. Mm-hmm. who have built their brand uh, through distribution and events. And the marketing folk there are now saying, oh, yeah, this is all a bit slow. So we're now we're going to do some paid media. Well, you know, this has been going on for a long time now because they're discovering that you can build a brand and a business in a particular way. But if you really want to build it big and fast, mm-hmm. then mass media mm-hmm. and paid media is the way to go. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a choice between like the kind of super addressable, targeted... That, and that kind of campaign and uh, you don't have to you could build you a brand both ways but the yeah. way that you're like that you kind of get there fastest and well they're, 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 they're not mutually exclusive and, yeah. and if you take back to ITV again is that no one's saying oh you should take your money out of ITV and put it on ITVX and only use ITVX through these addressable and interactive means um, they're talking we're talking here about the ability to take big TV as I describe it and apply the principles of interactivity and, and addressability via ITVX to smaller groups of people uh, using the data to do that. That, to me, is, uh, you know, they're, certainly, they're certainly not mutually exclusive. They are complementary. But if you really want to build a big brand, then uh, reaching people en masse is still the way to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Byron Sharp's been talking about this for the last God knows how long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not wrong. Yeah, I think when I'm talking on my beats with uh, radio brands, with out-of-home brands, that kind of mass reach is is definitely still uh, top of mind for how they're thinking, well, you get that mass reach, but they also need to talk about the individual and the kind of personalization as well to kind of talk to advertisers. They kind of have to do a bit of both. Um, Omar, what did you what kind of think of the... That kind of impact is a big word that we've been talking about since Future of Media and effectiveness. Obviously, you've, we've been writing about it a lot. What do you kind? What's your kind of take on this? We have been writing about it a lot, and that's um, you mentioned future media. Every session that we put on it, that's our flagship event, and we try to talk about all things media at that event. But we can't put enough. We can't put on enough stuff about data and measurement. Hmm. And again, to reference ITV, I suspect um, it's part of that piece as well, where um, there is so much pressure on media owners to prove the effectiveness of their mediums. Um, you know, I was talking, you know, after. Um, the presentations yesterday I was talking to an agency planner and I was like oh, what, do you, what do you think of Kelly and Dags is talking so well I just think they have to work so much harder in terms of what they're selling and you look at the the, the charts and the presentations that they're putting at a sales event and he was like well what's left for media agencies to do um, but interestingly um, so we took a break from doing this particular episode last week and partly that was because I was at the ASI conference in Nice um, the TV and video element of it, and Nick was there as well. 
Um, so that was all about effectiveness and audience measurement. And they were kind enough to let me on stage to interview the CEOs of Kantar Media and Nielsen. Um, those are on our YouTube channel and on our website if anyone wants to read or watch those interviews. Also, we're talking, we, I've spoken to Peter Field, um, the effectiveness luminary, um, who is speaking at our upcoming event, The Future of TV Advertising. Um, so look out for that interview, which will probably come out next Monday. Um, so why are we talking about this so much? Whether it's on the audience measurement side, these companies are now owned by private equity. They're under pressure to deliver more. Media owners are under pressure to deliver more. Advertisers demand a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that what I liked about Media 3.0, the Future of Media um, conference, was, was, was the focus on impact and effectiveness. It's kind of like, yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what it's all about. And to a certain extent, I think it's part of the zeitgeist of times being hard. What do you do uh, when times are hard? You focus on ROI and things like that. So I think this p- part of this is driven by the need to, to, to demonstrate effectiveness. But um, hats off to Ian Whitaker again, uh, who d- is doing a great job of trying to say, look, you know, we know that uh, big companies in their earning statements and in their analyst calls are saying we believe in the, the, the ability of brands to build business to grow revenue and profit um, and uh, you know this wasn't always the case it's starting to be the case much more now so this is quite a good sign it's a sign that what we do is starting to be recognized more and more as being a proper business discipline Therefore, we have got to make it more like a proper business discipline in terms of proving our worth, using statistical analysis in a different way, more data to prove effectiveness. Mm. And and the reason I like the word impact is because it's more than effectiveness. It can also be about changing people's attitudes towards uh, about sustainability or other things. So behaviour change, behaviour change uh, and and attitudinal Mm. change as well. So uh, when this word impact was coming through on at the the conference, I was thinking, actually, I keep talking about effectiveness because I think it's the, the thing that matters most to brands. But actually, I like the word impact as well because it kind of takes a bit some softer values mm-hmm. and allies it with the harder effectiveness measurements as well. And advertising has the ability to do both of those two, two things really well, but only when it's well executed. Mm-hmm. So it's all about how do you make... How do you make the media work hardest at delivering impact and effectiveness for brands? Well, not just brands, actually, because, you know, some people aren't brands. The government's not a brand. Mm. Um, it, well, okay, it kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is, it is, it is much, but it's advertising is trying to change behaviour and attitudes more than it is about building the, 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 the government brand. <laughs> I'm sure they're trying to build the government brand by doing that, but... So I think we need to be conscious of the fact that not every brand is a brand, if you know what I mean. It's kind of, they have different objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, advertising is trying to do more of the softer stuff, the impactful stuff. Uh, so I would argue, for example, that if, if I'm a big energy company like Shell, I'm probably using advertising more to try and soften attitudes towards me mm-hmm. than expecting people to go and fill up their cars at a Shell station instead of a, a you know a somebody else's filling station. Uh, so I, I, I quite like the fact that impact and effectiveness came through as, as parallel themes from that particular conference. Mm-hmm. The impact covers a bit more. And I wonder, just to pick up on one, on your point, you were saying that, that it has not always been the case that the importance of brand building and marketing, advertising was being discussed in, in this way by yeah. like those kind of board of directors what has changed? You said that it's kind of been changing over time. What do you think? Is it because we can't, there's a justification that we can pr- 
provide? No, it's or? really it's a really interesting question. I mean, you know, because I've been around a long time, I can I can talk about this. I think with some authority is that. Uh, marketing directors, CMOs, advertising was seen as being a business expense, not a business investment. Uh, sits on the PL, on the balance sheet, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, I think I don't know why this has happened, but I think that's changed now, and it's now it's now seen as being a proper business driver. And if I were to, to pinpoint one reason for that, it's because of digital, because there is now a much clearer picture of what you know inputs and outputs in other words digital digital media allow you to measure uh, at least ostensibly uh, what you're doing so I, I would say that the the digital revolution has led to that sea change because in the past if you advertised uh, you had really no proof of what made something work so if you advertise and there's no return path no interactivity or whatever, then your sales might go up, but you might go, oh, yeah, but we put our prices down or we got more distribution or our competitors did something different or whatever. Now it's much easier uh, to say much easier. It's not easy, but easier to, to make that distinct, that, to track it across time. So I, I would say if there's one reason why this has happened, it's because of the advent of digital media. And I was also going to ask you both about the um, the, the kind of on the impact and effectiveness of where do you think it, this conversation is going? We've talked about measurement and like cross-media measurement is a big thing that is being discussed. And But I'm just wondering where what's the trajectory um, of this kind of conversation? How is it going to develop? At this ASI conference, somebody had a really interesting take when talking about cross-media measurement, which came up a lot in the conversations with Nielsen, Kantar Media, in the UK, we like to focus on Isabel's Project Origin quite a lot, but there are lots of cross-media initiatives all over the world um, in different forms. Okay, it happens. You can now, in theory, do cross-media measurement across TV, audio, out of home, whatever it is. Deduplicated, that's hard to say, region <laughs> frequency, right? Great. But then what? Mm. You learn some stuff for a year, 18 months. Oh, yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. That's wasteful. We shouldn't be doing that. What do you do in the second year? Why we, why do you need to have a constant cross-media measurement system? You learn what you learn and then you're done. Just like Nick said, digital, you've already got a lot of learnings in terms of um, what you can do and can't do with personalization versus mass reach. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting prediction, if I can make mm. it, in terms of what is the long-term future of cross-media measurement? Well, well I suppose the, 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 the research will... Uh, continually update itself um, so one assumes that a uh, these will be continuous panels and and, and data sources uh, and things would but and things will change I mean you know I, I think we're going to talk about uh, retail media shortly mm. but uh, you know the world is moving very very fast and changing very quickly uh, the issue I think is that it's very difficult for the research community to keep up with consumer trends um, because they're, they're, they're moving far faster. And mm. the research industry is constrained by all sorts of things, including the need to invest in new panels mm. and so on. So it's, uh, it's you know, chasing a moving target, and it's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was saying, you know, things move so quickly. Uh, you're, you know, if you do something on a one-off basis, it's really hard to then catch up. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a real challenge. But going back to the media planner point, though, is that, if I were a media planner right now, I'd be thinking this is my moment uh, because I've got all of these channels available to me. 
uh, within each channel, I have a, a range of things that I can do. Um, and I would be thinking, well, my job is to not just choose all the right channels and the combination of them, not just individually, but also within each channel, what is, what is the best use of that particular channel? Um, and so, you know, it's curious in a way that you've got all this wonderful choice and the media agencies have got the ability now to, to make those choices. Um, it's hard for them because it's getting, it's getting harder all the time. But in some ways, this should be a media planner's dream. That's an interesting perspective because one could argue the other way as well. That it's like, oh, do we need media agencies if we've, if you know, you can do all, all of these self-serve platforms and yeah. everything's if things are becoming more automated. So yeah, that's quite a positive note to to end on. I think uh, we're going to move into the quick hits section of the podcast. So this is where... This is scoring sixes. Yeah, this is going to be... We'll see who's scoring sixes, who's scoring fours and singles. And I just would like your your take on it in a minute. And if you go over a minute, I'm going to make a... You're going to start a, setting the, the room on do fire. Do the sound. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll start setting the room on fire. I'll start playing this uh, trombone oh, sound. Yeah. OpenAI has been facing a staff and investor revolt after CEO Sam Altman's ousting over the weekend... He's now back in post with a new board, but there have been two other CEOs in that time since the weekend. Uh, Nick, what's your take on the significance of this chain of events? Uh, well, one of the funniest things I've read for quite a long time was somebody said just this morning, um, it, 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 we'd like him to sort out teams before he sorts out AI. <laughs> uh, I think we can all agree with that one. Well, I, I guess uh, you know he seems to be a messiah-like figure and chat GPT is the thing that's uh, behind all of that. Um, so I can only I can only assume that what they say about him is true, and you know I read Kara Swisher a lot and what she does and says, and she predicted all this with uncanny accuracy, and uh, she thinks that the, 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 he walks on water, and I can only think that must be true because she says it. Because <laughs> she says it. You've got t- about twenty seconds left actually, so you're. I don't need it. Omar, this one's uh, coming for you. Uh, the sale of the Telegraph and Spectator titles is now on hold. Um, uh, what's uh, so this Lloyd Banks Lloyd's Bank is now reviewing uh, potential involvement from these investment companies Redbird IMI and International Media Investments what's the impact of this review and the potential involvement of these private equity companies go <laughs> well, it looks like the auction process which we've been talking about for a while is effectively dead um, so we'll see um, I mean it's still a huge amount of debt that this um, that this company um, is laden with, and if it's going to be um, absolved um, by this um, private equity um, consortium, mini consortium, um, coming from foreign ownership, then we'll see. But you know, it's a similar thing like we're seeing all over media. So, the Warner Brothers uh, Discovery merger, laden with debt. Look, all the problems since the cancelled the Batgirl movie, um, Twitter, Elon Musk. Hugely overvalued acquisition, laden down with debt, owing money to Saudi Arabia. Um, it's, you know, there, there are problems ahead, whatever happens. Omar, I'm going to give this one to you. Um, Nick Bourne has been promoted uh, from Director of Business Partners uh, for the UK and Ireland to Head of Global Agencies at Meta. Um, how does this align? The last time I was reading about Meta, it was focusing on efficiency, cost cutting, there were job cuts. What's, what's this all about? It's been a big, big story, but... In a weird way, I don't think we've talked about it enough in the industry about just the remarkable rise and rise of Meta 
nay Facebook. So yeah, this is supposed to be the year of cost cutting, year of efficiency. But you look at their recent earnings, um, revenue is up massively. Um, na- name companies that can do that, cut costs and increase revenue massively. So massively profitable than they were before. My loose understanding of this is they've essentially solved the Apple problem, the IDFA problem, which um, previously didn't allow them to track in the same way. And AI is being credited internally as a huge reason why they've been able to do that. So a lot of the people that were let go in the UK from Facebook, from Meta, um, a lot of people have actually been rehired. Um, so good for Nick, good promotion. But yeah, there's there's lots of positive things happening. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> it also has to be said that they went down a bit of a, a rabbit hole with the metaverse yeah, and mm-hmm. spent a lot of money on that. And of course, that was probably not such a good bet. So they were kind of wheeling, like U-turning on the metaverse or are they... Well, they spent a lot of money on developing it and decided and discovered that, that wasn't the, 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 the biggest priority. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Nick, global um, pay TV penetration is set to decline for the first time ever. Uh, can you? What's kind of driving this change? How do you think that might impact the industry? How long have you got? <laughs> um, well, it's, I think it's really interesting, actually. And there's a lot of people out there who uh, are very good commentators on this. And Brian Weezer, for example, is is the best example I think of somebody who really who really gets this. And he's he's issued some very very interesting reports recently on it. Uh, I'm not even going to try and paraphrase those, but I think the uh, well, the reality is that we live in tough times. There's a lot of uh, well, in Europe, uh, there's a lot of public service broadcasting free to air, which is as, which, which keeps that end of it up. Uh, but, uh, uh, but we're also seeing now the revival, you know, the, the real arrival of fast and uh, AVOD and so on and so forth. So the amount of choice that's available to consumers now is is mushrooming, um, and as a result, people are in the US cutting their cable cords mm. and doing other things. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the reason why. Uh, an interesting point about that, um, you reminded me of something else that came up in ITV, a little mentioned thing. And actually, I wrote about it in the 10 takeaways piece from last week about ITVX. Um, mentioned that one of the things, the shows in their reel that Kevin Ligo had, it was this, I can't remember, the, I can't remember the name of it, is a girl who's not, she's not got superpowers, but everyone oh, yeah. else has got superpowers. And so I was sitting next to a very fine journalist, um, very sharp journalist from broadcast, who said, I'm confused, this has been on Disney Plus already. And it didn't surprise me that comment because there's an interesting thing happening with ITV in particular where they are plunging this secondary market mm. for streaming shows. So with the exception of Netflix, ITV is going to Disney, to Amazon, to other yeah. SVOD platforms. And they're saying, we'll, we'll put it on our platform as a box set and we'll just sell ads. We're not an SVOD platform. Um, we'll just sell ads. And there's a really interesting thing happening where loads of the audience that's being built up on ITVX is a load of these American box sets that they're buying on a secondary market. Yeah. So not great for PTV, pay, PTV, pay TV in the long run for Sky Bundles, Virgin Media Bundles. We can never get through a podcast without talking about X, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, major advertisers have been leaving X in droves, I think it's fair to say, um, after Elon Musk's responding to a controversial anti-Semitic tweet my question i'm gonna put this to both of you you can each get a minute um on this but how is x still running and what does this exodus <laughs> mean for the platform <laughs> what does this mean all these advertisers you've got disney apple every, like all of these companies leaving coming from an advertising perspective first um i don't know why people advertise on what was twitter is now x because 
for me, it's not a great advertising medium, even before we get into hate speech mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, it doesn't really, in my view, carry the characteristics of an effective medium. Um, and it's and although my feed is different to your feed, Ella, and yours, Omar, the stuff that I see, you know, being advertised is a bit of a joke. Uh, it's the worst possible. It's the very lowest form of advertising, and I don't see an awful lot of big brand advertising on there. I, th- I don't think people find it effective, and it's interesting that um, I read this week that uh, the HM government has stopped av- or stopped advertising on Twitter a while back because she didn't find it effective, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably true for yeah. quite a few people. Um, Omar, to give Musk some credit, um, when you, you when you asked how, how is Twitter still, still going, yeah. that's interesting because he has gotten rid of a hell of a lot of people. Yeah. But it is still running. Like they have some sort of minimum viable product. So that is one thing that's interesting. And we mentioned about Facebook and cross-cutting as well. So maybe these platforms are all a bit too flabby and we're seeing that now. Um, on the point about advertising, um, there was actually a good piece that um, I think came out in Ad Age yesterday where um, they were they were asking the question, I think all of us asked when over the weekend Disney, etc., were pulling off as like, I didn't even know you were still on this platform. How many advertisers are actually left? And so this adage report was making the point that actually there hasn't been a mass exodus. There's been a trickle away Mm. and there's a constant trickle away. Um, So I think that's panning out. And yeah, I think to Nick's point, why are they there? How effective is it? Somebody said you can either have complete free speech or advertising, pick one. Uh, I think that's true. Unfortunately, if you say I'm all about free speech, you open the gates up to... The, the worst kind of opinion um, and advertisers shouldn't go anywhere near them. With X, it seemed like, you know, Group M's, I think was it, it was earlier this year kind of designating it as like a not safe platform and then all of that stuff. And No, 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 yeah. they did the opposite. So they, they, well, they, they came back. They but they came, came back, back they yeah. kind of recertified, they kind of, I, I don't know if, uh, but there, I think there was just, there just seems to be uh, like lots of, Lots of things happening around I around think it. what happened is that when Linda arrived, she had a word with Christian Yule at Group M to say, we need your support. And they got it. I suspect that might be slightly re- regrettable yes. now. I've read that uh, advertisers are urging her to, to leave for they the were. sake of her yes. career. And yeah. now she's got why, her why son. Are they, why are they urging her to leave? How is she the problem? Well, <laughs> Elon Musk is the problem. Well, because she's a darling of the industry. Mm. and Oh, so for her, leave for your for own, your own good, sake. Linda. It's for your yeah, career. Save your uh, career. Do not stay. Yeah. You are ruining your reputation. And we hold you in high, or we held you in high regard. Don't, don't let yourself be dragged into well, it. Well, unless she's remarkably nice. Naive, she would not have gone into that job in the first place without some very clear exit conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll watch the space, she's I guess. Waiting, she's waiting for her payday as well. <laughs> Um, we did talk about I'm a Celeb earlier, uh, briefly, and uh, its 23rd series is underway with Nigel Farage, who we've mentioned, earning the highest fee ever, um, 1.5 million. Uh, my question uh, to you, Nick, is, is he worth 1.5 million? And what does this say about the show's future? <laughs> well, I suppose if, you, if, if the show relies upon a vast amount of um, coverage, uh, which it does in in multiple media, and it wants to generate wor- a lot of word of mouth, a lot of column inches in the red tops, etc. Uh, then you need to have big figures on it, and some of them might be a bit controversial, um, you know, more controversial than Britney Spears' sister, for example. Um, and I think the quality of the celebs uh, is 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 such a big thing for that show. Last year, it was Matt, Matt Hancock was the Punch and Judy character. Can't remember which is Punch or Judy really. <laughs> Uh, this year it's Nigel Farage. They kind of seem to need uh, somebody who's a bit controversial to maintain the level of coverage that they get. 
And uh, whether that's good or bad, I'll leave other people to judge. Mm-hmm. Omar, do you want, is he worth one and a half million to ITV? <laughs> Well, I suppose if they can justify an uplift on audience, which translates to X amount of commercial revenue, then it is worth it, I suppose. Mm. But um, I don't suppose it will. I mean, we saw opening uh, the opening figures for the Sunday night show and they were, what, two million down on last year. Yeah. And ITV, if they were here, will say, well, they're all, you know, a lot of people watching on ITVX relative to before, but I doubt mm. those people will be particularly interested in Nigel Farage. So I suspect it's not going to work, but that's just my prediction. Mm. The funniest bit was when he used the Matt Hancock excuse for doing it um, as opposed to taking the money. It's like... This way I reach a different and younger audience. Yeah. And you kind of go, yeah, right, Nigel. <laughs> I think there's one and a half million reasons better than that. <laughs> Amazon has been signing a lot of deals recently yeah. with Snap, Pinterest, Meta. Meta would obviously include Facebook and Instagram. That would allow direct shopping on those apps without leaving the apps on using their Amazon accounts. Um Nick, what's the significance of these deals for all the parties involved? Because you can kind of see how Amazon is like, right, okay, we'll tap yeah. into this. But what, what, what's, what's happening? Well, I think it's the shift towards social commerce. Uh, it's, it's interesting, actually, because we've talked about retail media now for quite a while. But actually, the Americans call it commerce media. And I think we should too, because it covers a much broader range than traditional, <laughs> traditional, did I really say that? Uh, retail media, uh, which tends to be with retail outlets. And Amazon uh, is, is, you know, the juggernaut in all of this. And what they're trying to do is they're laying down bets here in terms of social commerce by doing those deals. Um, and essentially, it's all part of their wrapping themselves around the the entire industry in, in that regard. Um, and uh, obviously TikTok have already developed quite a strong product in that area. And I think to a certain extent, Amazon saying, well, we can do what you can do. I think, yeah, TikTok is an interesting one because they've also done sort of integrations with Spotify yeah. and Amazon Music and, and, that, and kind of staying in platform. And I wonder if this ties in with the everything app yeah. Uh, idea or if that's ever going to happen well i think that the point yeah. uh, in some ways the reason that it's it's about commerce media more than retail media and the word even the word media is slightly misleading because if you look at the the, the typical amazon flywheel media is part of that but it's all about that virtuous circle of gaining customers keeping customers lifetime values and so on and so forth and you know it's it's massively it's already very very big in the u.s and it's coming over here um and you know you guys uh, are covering it well, but it's just going to be such a big part of all of our lives. And to a certain extent, it also addresses something we talked about earlier on. I'm going to run out of time here, but whatever. Uh, okay. I've, is, timed you, I've timed you out now. I think you've got... <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's all about that closed loop and being able to track uh, track effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and commerce media not only does it allows you to do that, but it also ends up with a, a, a shorted gap between uh, message and sale. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's going to be increasingly important. Yeah. This is this is not within the quick hit minute. I just wonder if you think retail media can do the full funnel because this is something I hear all the time uh, about from from yeah. people working in the space that it's being oh we're not we're more than performance. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think if you do it properly, then it isn't just about the bottom of the funnel. And so, for example, coming back to TV again, uh, who's to say that television isn't an important part of retail media? Because what TV does is it actually makes the flywheel spin faster. It has it, it improves your search performance, it improves your social performance, improves your retail footfall. So does digital out of home, especially if you uh, locate it around the retail outlet. So these things are not mutually exclusive. Big big media can play a big part 
in in retail media, um, and it, and in fact, it, it has an acceler- accelerating effect on the whole thing. Mm. Haven't even had time to get into Ella. Is um, you know Alan Rusbridger and Nadine mm. Dorries playing Woodward <laughs> and Bernstein oh. over um, Robbie Gibbs' involvement in um, yeah. appointing Michael Grade allegedly as um, Ofcom chair and. Um, you, Grade's been talking about um, the license fee being regressive recently. Um, check out, all I can say right now, check out Raymond Snoddy's piece on the Media Leader on Wednesday morning that published. Um, fascinating stuff. Yeah. I think we should all thank Nadine for being, you know, for entertaining us royally over the last couple of years. <laughs> and for such great investigative work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Page 83, apparently, in the plot. That's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> I think that's all we have time for. But thank you, both of you, for joining me and uh, chatting about this week's media news. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. If you like what you hear, guess what? You can read our stuff at our website, themedialeader.co.uk, where you can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK of analysis, opinion and commentary about what's going on in media and advertising. You can also find us on YouTube. We are posting video interviews and clips of our live events. And don't forget to check out our LinkedIn page, which is often a very interesting way to see what people in the industry are saying about our articles and the issues we write about. Anyway, get back to work. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.